I mean, telling a good story is part of the part of the entrepreneur's job. The, the, uh, the entrepreneur needs to be able to tell a story that resonates with people. Welcome to the Product Quest podcast. Thanks for joining us on our journey to better understand innovation and product strategy. My name is Scott Burleson, and joining me as always, my co-hosts, Jan Vermouth and Jonathan Edwards. Today, we welcome our most special guest, Dr. Andrew DeMeo. Andrew is a former professor at North Carolina State and the University of North Carolina in biomedical engineering. He's an entrepreneur, having built Canvas GT, which is whiteboard software that was acquired recently by medtech software firm Greenlight Guru. Andrew is a big thinker in all things innovation and all things relating to medical devices. But more importantly than that, he's a super dude and friend who has a lot to say on many topics. Andrew DeMeo, welcome, sir, to the Product Quest podcast. Oh, man. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. Looking forward to it. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that guy you introduced anyway. It sounded like it was vaguely like somebody I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know this guy. Hey, you know, we all have these sort of interesting career stops around the way. And one of yours was when you worked as a set dresser on movie production. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, I was born into the New York City motion picture industry. So my grandfather was one of, I don't know, five, eight, ten, something, very small number of people that uh, started a union for... Um, people working in the motion picture industry, specifically the union that that he has started was for set dressing, props, sound, electric, uh, grips, and carpentry, I think, if I got that right. It's Local 52 of the International Association of Theatrical and Stage Employees. So I, I just was born into that world uh, and around 18, 19, started working uh, in, in movies, major motion pictures, TV shows, and uh, gosh, it was just the it was the funnest part of of my life. I mean, being that young, making good money, working with movie stars, uh, worked with people like Howard Stern, uh, worked with James Gandolfini on The Sopranos. If you can maybe see right here is a movie yeah, card yeah, yeah. hidden yeah, by my it. bicycle wheel with, from the set of The Sopranos. So those were oh, cards wow. that would go and like set cars and things to denote them as being part of the the movie crew. Um, probably the coolest little tidbit fact, if you're a Sopranos fan, is that the is that the head of the Sopranos family is is DeMeo, um, and that's not a coincidence. Right? Uh, it's like it's my last name. So if you if you look up the Soprano family tree, you'll see you'll see DeMeo at the very top. So that was just kind of kind of a fun thing that happens That's very while nice. we're working on the show yeah so we need to be on our best behavior today otherwise <laughs> we might disappear or something yeah i mean my family's basically the head of a fictional crime family so you gotta watch out what you're doing because then yeah. you <laughs> <laughs> oh man <laughs> that's that's fantastic what are some things what are some things based on that experience you sort of take you bring with you today yeah, well, uh, a couple of things. One is how important the set is. So we did set dressing and props, and it's like that that set around the the actors was 
created an energy that was incredibly important, right? And so I think um, maybe today, if I think about it in, in terms of assessing unmet needs within, say, a medical setting, yeah. to try to do it in this room surrounded by bikes is really not going to have the right energy as opposed to, say, being in, a, you know, a medical facility or in a hospital or in a private practice, uh, wherever, wherever things are happening is that surrounding means so much. Mm -hmm. And of course, if you have to simulate it, simulating it is better than, than doing it completely out of context. So that's one thing that stuck with me. Um, another thing is just how important the crew is the team, right? Like what was really, was really interesting is that I worked on many different TV shows, many different movies and commercials. Uh, but I got lucky to have been part of the Sopranos, which was, you know, arguably one of the best television shows ever produced. I mean, there's arguments about it, right? Like some of this, the wire knows the Sopranos or whatever, but it's in there, right? It's in that conversation. And okay. So what's the difference? The crew members, you know, the talent, um, like what's different from, from one set to another set, from one storyline to another storyline. And I, I just the, the, the way the crew jived to the way that the talent was down to earth. You know, I got to know James Gandolfini. He was, he, we would hang out and talk. He had an impact on my life on like major life decisions. Cause we were chatting late into the evening, right? You don't, you don't get to do that on every television or, or movie set with the talent. But I think that there's something about, okay, so this particular crew that was so chill and so cool and so fun where the, the lead actor is hanging out and having long conversations with some nobody kid. That's the one that produced and, you know, an award-winning television show. Right. And so that sticks with me. It's just, just like, yeah, it's the crew. It's it's that crew is so much more important than what problem you're solving, honestly. Man, that's so true. You know, one of the things, one of my little, one, I have like this finite list of speeches I give from time to time. <laughs> you guys have heard most of them. This might be one you haven't heard, though, in that it's like for all the talk about process, for all the talk about jobs to be done, for design thinking, fill in the blank. It people are the ones that get it done and give me like a subpar process in amazing people. And I'll kick your ass with subpar people and amazing process. I, I, I'll take those odds every day, all day. And I, I don't think that's, I don't think that's mentioned enough. It seems obvious, but I don't think it's talked about enough. Yeah. hundred percent team. The team is more important than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you started working with them, was it was there like there's this model of uh, storming, norming, performing, which is the idea that when people first are thrown together, like they sort of are fighting, not fighting, but they're sort of feeling each other out, not being totally honest. And then over time, they become they, their working relationship goes to a much higher level. Did, was, did you experience anything like that? I have to think back to the earlier days of getting thrown onto the first movie sets that I ever worked on. Cause I think it was, maybe it's something else that really stuck with me to, to this day is, 
just about, it's a combination of confidence, I guess. You just have to know what you're doing. But then um, also this, uh, it was a, a phrase that we said in the family all the time that everybody puts on their pants one leg at a time. Like nobody was starstruck by the talent because the talent were just people too. Yeah. Everybody was kind of the same. People have good days, bad days. Um, but if you found yourself being a little bit starstruck with the talent or looking up to certain people, or if you found yourself not confident in the job that you were about to do, because it was so random. Every, every day was completely different. I mean, it was just like, Hey, we're going to lay tile in this diner all day today. So it's like, okay, I guess I got to learn how to lay tile or yeah. it's, you know, move the, height of a chandelier while standing on the top rung of a 12 foot ladder while Sidney Pollock and Harrison Ford are down there looking up at you, you know, and you're on that rung, you're not supposed to be on. Um, if you, if you were, you know, if you showed any lack of confidence, you just got eaten alive. Right. And it was just like the, the hazing was intense like you just get your ass kicked in that business just like if you don't if you're not mentally tough forget about it because you suck you suck at everything you suck you suck you suck you know faster faster what's you know you look like a deer in headlights you can't find shit you know it's like yeah that was the sort of the, the energy all the time and so i it's weird like that 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 way a team comes together um, it didn't work like that after you kind of got good at realizing that we're just crew members who just have to do shit and people are going to give other people shit and this is how it's going to go and you just have to have you know it's going to be funny we're going to all laugh you yeah. know everybody's going to mess up you know every you know yeah. you're going to make mistakes you're going to do it right you're going to drop the thing you're going to like have the most important <laughs> you know prop that's like key for the scene and somebody and you're going to fucking drop it and it's going to smash and everybody's <laughs> going to be looking at you and it's just like okay you know yeah. just like it's no big deal <laughs> people are losing their minds yeah. you know freaking out uh so yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's another thing that stuck with me too. Like somebody, some some superior person could lose their mind and be yelling at me in some, you know, some current day situation. And I just stand there like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Have fun with your rant that you're going on there. Yeah. You know, it's whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly sort of the parallel that was coming to mind. Is like, well, you know, how what's this, how does this relate to, you know, a, you know, what, most of us are sort of doing now, or, or let's just say a world of creating products and understanding customer needs, the whole thing, you know, there's a couple, one common thing is time pressure. Although I have to think the time pressure is probably worse in the situation you described where they're literally, you know, they've stopped traffic on this street. We've got two hours to do this thing or whatever. Um, but time is certainly where what, I think professionally we're all pushed for. Mm -hmm. um, but then the other thing you made me think about is, you know, in, in that situation, there was sort of the big stars and if they'd yell at you, that would be, that could be stressful. But, but, you know, today there's always either it's an executive or 
there's somebody in position of power, much more so than you are. And, um, you know, for them, it could be, and now your livelihood's based on your production. You have maybe have children, people depending on you. Mm-hmm. And um, the degree that um, how you deal with that when they decide to, you know, they could, it might not be, not be yelling at you, but they could use simple words that sort of put you in your place. And I think that's something that probably everybody can relate to. And how do you deal with that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, shoot. I was maybe early twenties. I was working at a medical device company Yeah, and, and I was doing testing on a product we needed to release really soon and it was failing it was failing the tests and i could have say tweaked a few things here and there to make it appear as though it was gonna pass this testing and i was you know there was incredible pressure from like the middle level executives on this has got to get out the door this has got this has to pass the test yeah and i'm like it's not you know it's not passing yeah um and then you know i, I literally i, I was tw- early 20s and it was my first job as a design engineer for a medical device company and they pulled in you know the c-suite into a room it was all on video i was here in creedmoor north carolina and the, the executives were all in san diego and they put you know like me into a little room <laughs> you know on video with these executives and they're like what's the deal and and i said it's failing the test yeah like that's it yeah you know and i think when when i was so chill and calm with this with the with the c-suite they they were all like you know no problem it turns out that the product that i was working on was for a collaboration we were doing with J and J and J and J's audit the way that they the way that they audit um, their suppliers is intense and much later in that project I was I had to travel to Mexico to bring the product online for manufacturing and the team from J and J said said hey we trust you so much. We're not going to send our own people down there. If you say it's good, we know it's good. Right. Like the whole thing flipped. The whole thing flipped later on once it got to a, an incredibly important contract between the company and J and J, what they were freaking out with earlier about it getting done on time turned to be one of the things that J and J was, was like, yeah, we trust you. We trust your team. And, you know, we're going to be moving forward with this project. So, yeah, we missed the date, but we built a ton of trust with a huge, you know, partner in the process. Which arguably is worth more. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I would have been able to do that at such a young age. Yeah. Having not grown up in that, that movie world. Yeah. I remember when a project I was working on and I was, I was definitely one that would have been that was sort of intimidated by the big, the big leaders, you know, the big people. And I've worked with this guy, EJ Smith. He was our project manager. There'd be some se- very senior leaders in our way. And EJ would say, you know, let's give him a call. And that rascal would pick up the phone and call him. I'm like, well, what are you doing? You can't just call him. You know, we can't do that. He's like, hmm, let's give him a call. 
but I sort of reflected back on that later. But that, you know, that was the thing to do. So mm-hmm. interesting. Well, when did you, when did, what sort of originated your interest in medical med, med tech? It really is like dominoes falling. You know, I grew up as someone that wanted to either own a bike shop, <laughs> you know, or maybe maybe be a motorcycle mechanic or an auto yeah. mechanic. Honestly, like that's all I really wanted to do. Um, and everyone's like, "Oh, you're too smart to be a mechanic, so you need to go study engineering." And so I started studying mechanical engineering, um, and I hate I. I hated it so much. I was working in the movie business at the same time. I was really torn between two totally different worlds, a world that was super classical and pragmatic and a world that was super creative. Yeah. Um, And that probably impacted the way I think today about this sort of this genius of the and concept, which we can get into maybe if there's time, probably not. Um, But yeah, I... I'd, I started motorcycling and traveling all over the, the country, especially the East Coast. And so I was spending some time in the Carolinas. Uh, and I just decided life was so complicated. I just deci- I made this decision. I'm just going to be a high school physics teacher. I'm good at math. I like I just want to I want to have this simple life where I teach kids in high school and have summers off and I can ride motorcycles because I have summers off. So you need a super simple life. So I just kind of I picked up and left New York City on a Harley Davidson motorcycle. Ended up in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and while I was learning to be a high school physics teacher, the chair of the physics department asked if I would. At this point, I was a non-traditional student, so I was a little older. Asked if I would teach freshman and sophomore level physics. Uh, and so I was teaching college students at the same time as I was teaching high school students. And I just, it was this really basic decision of, I like this better. Yeah. <laughs> like college <laughs> students are more fun to teach. Yeah. High school students are a little bit of, you know, it's more like babysitting. Yeah. So Different questions involved. <laughs> yeah. Just, and I, so I, it was a really, then I'm thinking, okay, what do you got to do to be a college professor? You know, I guess you got to get a PhD, but I, I wasn't thinking about, I wasn't really thinking hard about what that meant. Um, I did think that a PhD in physics though was like, okay, it's one thing, it's one thing to be teaching freshman and sophomore level physics, but PhD in physics that's that started to scare me it was way too much math and I was really concerned about what that meant to get a PhD in physics and uh, I started poking around and and I found medical physics which is is you know where you might be working on uh, large imaging machines and I was like oh that's cool you know it's like for medicine and that just kind of intrigued me and then medical physics kind of twisted into biomedical engineering. And I found this program at UNC that was at the medical school. It was really cool. I had to apply to med school at UNC to be in the biomedical engineering program. Uh, it's not, I don't know if it's that way anymore, but it was back then. Um, and so then I was, you know, getting a PhD in biomedical engineering for no other reason than to, because I want, just wanted to teach, you know, in college, um, 
I ended up having uh, my first child before I finished my PhD, which was not exactly planned. Wow. And so then it was like, oh, shit, I need to get a job. <laughs> and yeah. I got a job as a design engineer for a medical device company. <laughs> you know, and it's okay. so it's like, oh, this master plan, you're a thought leader in the medical device industry. You know, I'm just a dude who rides bikes, who worked on movie sets, just had a it couple happened of dollars. To. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So and that just started it. I I met a couple of guys while I was working at that company. By the way, this is this is an interesting fact about me. Um if if you take away, I was 12 years at the university, but while I was there, I was also, um, I was also doing entrepreneurial gigs. Uh, the movie business is totally irregular. Like there's nights, there's, there's days, there's nights. Each job is a separate gig. You're not employed. It's not like you have a salary from the production company. So it's like very gig type business. So in my entire life, since I've started working, you know, since like my first job as a paper boy to this day, I want to say that there's been three and a half years that I've had what I'll call a nine to five job where I went to a place at, you know, nine, left at five, had vacation that I had to like put in. Three and a half years of my whole life is, is normal, regular work. So I only say that because that 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 was two of those two and a half maybe of those three and a half years was was there um at Alaris Medical Systems where I met a couple of guys Ted Mosler and Todd Kurogi and we all got together and we're like just couldn't stand this this day job life and we started a company called Galero uh which that's my very first ever startup um, I didn't get wealthy from it, but it, it's a successful, you know, multinational business today, you know? And so again, talk about luck. It's like, Hey, what's this guy's track record? You know, the first company he started when he was in his late twenties is a successful medical, you know, device services and manufacturing firm. Um, so great i think that's a really good um that's that, so in this time of being a student and working i did the same thing well not not nearly as successfully as you but i worked on the side as well but i think it's this I, that's where i got the idea of kind of a portfolio approach to life as it were I, I really took it from and i really loved it having different worlds at the same time in some kind of way and if you can do this i think it really really helps so it's it's just have your feet in different kind of areas Maybe that has to do with the tunes at the end, but that's that's uh, so this living in different worlds at the same time, I found that an extremely helpful experience late, to this day. I mean, it's 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 just enriching, right? Not yeah. to be in the one kind of lane thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm sort of struggling with exactly what what, what I'm thinking about, how or how to articulate what I'm thinking, but it let me just sort of struggle through it here. It seems like starting a medical device company it just seems like that'd be very intimidating mm. because for multiple reasons i think the like there's there's a regulatory thing you're gonna have to deal with but uh, but also you're dealing with um 
you know, well, physicians, real like really smart people that have spent a lot of time thinking about these spaces. It's like, why? So how is this new idea going to, you know, have anything I think of, surely they've, they've already already thought of. And then I think the other thing is that, you know, if, if, if the device is impacting a person's health, that sort of adds another level of pressure as opposed to it's a picture they're going to hang on their wall or, okay, the picture falls off the wall as opposed to they have some serious health complication that maybe because your device failed. What, how does one, how does one, I realize it's not really much of a question, but I'm just trying, I'm trying to sort it through. How do you get the confidence to, or how do you, what, I guess, what advice would you give to somebody in a startup space in medical devices, given that those sort of background things that, that I find intimidating? Uh, how do you, how do you push through that? Yeah. Uh, there's so much easier ways to make money. Right. And, <laughs> and I know so many entrepreneurs in the medical device space that have left it that are like, I'm not, I can't do this anymore. Like I want to, I, I need to, I need a lucrative path and they go, you know, w- work in real estate or something. Uh, Cause if you have good process and good business practices, you, you can be so much more successful, so much easier in a different industry. So what it comes down to, in my opinion, is entrepreneurship as a social service. I believe this to be true all the time. Um, for any industry. And this is the way that this is my theory on this, right? If it wasn't for entrepreneurs, nobody would have jobs. And I don't care what kind of business you start, you know, you're starting a bicycle shop or a pizza, pizza restaurant, um, or you're gonna start a farm, you know, or a medical device company, or, you know, software startup that's going to scale rapidly. Um, You you would hope that the thing that you're starting is going to make life better somehow, right? Like make people happy, make people healthy, provide experiences, you know, improve efficiency, whatever it is. So we're, we're already starting with the thing that we're starting should be a thing that improves life. But now think about the fact that you're, you're a job creator. You're creating the opportunity for other people to be prosperous. And where this really, you know, where this really hits me is in the failures because more than once have I impacted somebody's life at a, there's a moment in time that I think I've really, really effed up. You know, like I've convinced a couple of, you know, fully full grown adults with kids, you know, in high school planning to go to college, like I I can be pretty persuasive about starting something and being excited about it. And then they're quitting their jobs to join my startup, you know, and we go and we raise two, $3 million together and we spend two years and it's, it's this awesome, incredible experience and everyone's happy and everyone's loving it but then it does fail and then all of a sudden everybody's looking for work you know and i'm and i'm thinking like i've ruined their lives you know 
Um, and they say to me, you know, they come back to me and they're like, that two years was the best two years of my life. And I'm trying to figure out how I can repeat that in the future. Like now I have a prototype for what I want to live. And so that makes me feel better. Um, but it's heavy, right? Like that's the heaviness that I go to sleep with as an entrepreneur. And so again, I don't care what kind of company it is. It, when, if, if you're thinking as an entrepreneur, ah, oh, I want to start a company to make money. It's just not even the right, it's just a wrong foot to start on, right? Um, and so those people that are starting medical device companies, I think need to be especially mission driven, right? They need to especially care that they're, they're trying to bring some medical device to market that's really going to improve or extend the quality of life somehow. And, and if, if you can be, if you're doing, if you're not doing it for the money, if you're doing it for the mission and realize that the journey is so much more important than the end result, because there's a pretty good chance it's not going to make it. Yeah. You better enjoy the journey along the way and you better realize the team better realize that they should be keeping their resumes brushed up all through this thing. Um, Cause it could end. Then that that's, that's what it takes. It's, it's that's quite interesting because I want to contrast what you've just said with um, what two previous guests um, said who were also entrepreneurs. So Murat Gurker and Francesco Cardoletti. I forget now which episode they were on some time back. And I, I actually asked them exactly this question, talking about what's the importance of the, the mission in entrepreneurship? Is this something we need to keep in mind or not? And I think just it just goes to show that you know uh, everyone has his 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 opinion on, on on that and i have to say i i would tend to agree with what you just said um in the sense that when everything's going well then i think you can probably do without a mission but to find the energy to 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 keep on going when when things don't go as well i think it can really help you uh, get through those hard patches. So, uh, yeah, but I just thought it was quite interesting how, um, we have different perspectives on this. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and like I said, there's, uh, I'm just going to pull this curtain because I think there's too much light on the right side of my face. <laughs> um, I, there are a lot of people that start companies as, as an endeavor to make money. Right. I mean, there are, yeah there are people that buy houses to flip them. And there are people that buy houses to make it the home that they're going to live in. And somebody comes along and, and is like, how much for the house? So of course they both exist. Um, and I'm just not a fan. I'm not a fan of the doing it for the making money. I think it's, it's, uh, I'll just say, I think it's one of the things that's wrong with society, right? Like who wants to buy a house that's been flipped? Is that a good entrepreneur? Like, 
you know, okay, so your business is super successful and you had a 6X multiple and you walked away with your millions. Are you a positive impact on the planet? What did you turn, what did whatever you start turn into for the rest of society? Right. I mean, you can have the best of intentions and be, and, and be a, an entrepreneur that cares about the social impact that you're having and the outcomes can still have a negative impact on our planet. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I think it, I, I, this is one of the things, if you were to ask me if there's anything that I could change in higher education, because that's a whole another topic. I spent 12 years as a professor at NC State and UNC. If there's anything that I could change, if I could make, wave a magic wand and change anything about higher education, it would be how entrepreneurship is taught. They teach it like this, um, have a highly scalable venture that you pitch to investors and how much is the multiple and what does the cap table look like and blah, 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 and all this stuff to become rich, which is just absolute shit. And that's what they're teaching our kids in college these days. If I could change anything, it would be entrepreneurship as a social endeavor. Why or what, what does entrepreneurship actually mean for economic development? Yeah. What does entrepreneurship actually mean for our economy, for our society, locally and globally what does the impacts of startups have on the planet and the people that are participating in them right if we taught it that way i think maybe at least more people would understand it wouldn't change it wouldn't change everybody into a social entrepreneur but um, at least we might have a more solid foundation yeah uh, this reminds me a lot i like that a lot because i think it's I mean, you have to think of the way that money is kind of the reward, but it's not the cause. It's not what you're doing it for. And there is, I think it was, it's it's one of the students of Clay Christensen. He wrote this book on poverty and, and kind of poverty and innovation. And it, it, what the way they frame entrepreneurship is to say, hey, okay, one way to fight poverty in the world is, well, whatever the Northern Hemisphere gives money to projects in the Southern Hemisphere. We've did that for quite a while, did it work out? I don't know. Probably not. And they kind of propose a different thing. How can we enable more entrepreneurship and make entrepreneurship happen in a, in a country that's more poor? Because that will increase wealth, welfare for everybody. And I think there is this very interesting framing of economics endeavors in general as a benefit for society if you if you kind of have the right metrics you're chasing after, I would say. So so mm -hmm. I completely see this. And and for me, this is aligns a lot with with what I take to be one of the core thoughts of jobs to be done and saying, Hey, you start with what can I, what can I do for somebody else so that their life sucks less? Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the basic idea. What can, what problem can I remove for somebody? Mm -hmm. And then that's something that's fine to get a reward for. Mm -hmm. But flipping it the other way around this can, can lead to very dangerous tactics. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to say that I agree, but there's a nuance to it. Yeah. I don't even think of the money as a reward. Here's the, here's the, okay. Let's look at the other side of the scale, the super mission driven um, entrepreneur who wants to help, you know, uh, a, a really, um, what's, what's the word that I'm looking for? A, um, a rare disease maybe or children something where there's altruistic yeah there's a really small market right yeah and 
the business plan just doesn't work. So I have to, I mentor yeah. so many entrepreneurs and I'll tell you what, nine times out of 10, the people that I see that are med tech entrepreneurs lean way too much on the mission driven side. So much so that they're, they're never going to be successful. They're never going to get the product to the market because they're not thinking about the business model to be a lucrative one. Right. So a lucrative business model is a necessity yeah. of the business for the people in the business to be prosperous. Again, I could be starting a bicycle shop. I want the people that work there to be able to go on vacations and live in nice homes and be prosperous. What does that look like? That's pretty tough. You know, if you start to like write down the business model for a bicycle shop, it's not making a whole lot of people a whole lot of money. Yeah. But is there a way to do it? And I believe that, yes, there absolutely is a way to do it. And so, you know, when it comes to say a rare, a rare disease, um, you know, or a very small market endeavor, you have to be thinking in terms of what kind of creative way can I attack this, this opportunity in such a way to become, have it be a lucrative business that then does have the impact that I want it to have on the people that I want it to have it on. Right. And so to me, the money is just part of being a good entrepreneur. It has to, it has to have an ROI. Mm -hmm. It has to be able to pay the people that are working in it. It has to generate enough revenue to be able to sustain a business and the people that are working for the business. Right. And so yeah. I, it's not a, it's not a reward. It's, it is an, is an essential ingredient of a, of a successful business. Yeah. And I had a, another question regarding you, you've done different ventures how what's your process for assessing what you're going to invest your time in what what ventures you're going to pursue how how do you go about that is there any maybe you can even tell us how you how it happened tell us the story of of how it happened in your various ventures cuz i i always think that's a, a very interesting um piece of uh, knowledge you know so yeah <laughs> Uh, you know, so it's this, and I, I, I steal this from, um, gosh, who's the author that wrote as Ray Dalio, I think Ray Dalio says, um, meaningful work, meaningful relationships. I think that's how he says it. Meaningful work, meaningful relationships. The, the team that I'm working with has to be a team that I care about. Um, and the thing that I'm working on has to be something that I'm passionate about. That's meaningful. Those are like the two things that have to be true for me to then assess, is this worth going after? And if nine times out of 10, the business model is not working out. Um, but, I mean, often when, even before that, right, because we're already talking about teams, but Mm -hmm. Do you do you have a list of 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 ideas, or do you go around and feel, oh, this is really not working very well? Someone should fix this. Mm. Uh, are you very rigorous about saying, okay, now I'm gonna, you know, I want to 
work in this space and and do something there i mean what's what's your approach here just to to because i find something yeah. very difficult i've got a list of uh, god knows 80 different business ideas i've been just you know uh, trailing along on my phone for the the, the past uh, 10 years or something you know and uh, I, I always find so you write these ideas down um are these valid ideas which ones should you pursue how do you go about that? I, I I find that the this so earlier we talked about how we live in this you know multiple projects multiple lives going on you know sort of you're in all these different spaces and so to me it's it's a it's recognizing a real unmet need in the space as a technician within that place. Right. And so something really simple, you know, like when I worked in the movie business, one of the things that the props had to do was acquire cars. You know, so we worked with various, you know, car shops that we could rent cars for for the movies. Um, and I was a kid and my brother got stood up at, you know, he he went to rent a car from a company Um and then another production came in and threw much more money at the same car company and ended up with the car. And he was like, you know, fuck this. Like we supply the cars. So he started a company called movie time cars. And so then his company supplied the cars to the business that we were operating. Right. And, and so I think in, in almost every single case, I've found an unmet need within the spaces or between the places or try to connect dots like, oh, wait, they do it this way in this different industry or this different sector. And I'm seeing this over here. And it's like, it's connecting dots within places that I'm actually living. And I have to be, I have to be a customer, right? So one of my things always too is there's this, these phrases, right? Like eat your own dog food or drink your own champagne. Mine is, I like to drink my own grape juice so that one day I can choose to drink my own champagne. Um, or maybe I should do it with whiskey because I like whiskey so much better. But at, at any rate, um, you know, Galero, we started Galero and it was the way in which we as a team were servicing the company and we saw how much more efficient we could be if if we were an outside organization, man, we could be so much more innovative and come up with so many more ideas. And, and this is what it would look like if we weren't part of the company that we were working for, which was the basis for that business. Um, you know, the, the last software startup that I did had to do with uh, what I saw between, this was between consultants. So I was working with a, a consultancy called Trig. Um, and I don't know if you've had Ty Hagler on, but he's a good friend of ours. And, you know, so I was working with Trig and I was doing consulting with medical device startups. And I saw a place where the, there was this struggle between early stage messy ideas and the structure that you needed in a controlled design uh, quality system for a medical device company. And bridging that gap was really, really painful. It's one, it's one thing to recognize it as an unmet need. 
it, it's, it's then another thing to go and, and start to interview hundreds of people to try to figure out if it matters to anybody else other than you. Right. So I recognize them from life. I've validated it through stakeholder interviews. Great. So tell us about what are your thoughts? What are some of your the big methods that you use in your thinking? I mean, I, I know jobs be done is one, and I think um, design thinking is one. You mentioned your the and the concept yeah. of the and. What's what's Andrew's philosophy on innovation? How do the, how do the big pieces come together for the way you if you if, if you're going to design your own innovation system? What would be the key components? Yeah, the first, I mean, the the two biggest ingredients are abstraction and genius of the end. Those are the two big pieces. Um, and by abstraction, one of the things um, that I got to start with is this place where whether it's jobs, jobs to be done, outcomes-driven innovation, voice of customer, needs-driven approaches, design thinking, fall in love with the problem, not the solution, all of these things, they're nuanced, they're different. You know, there's a lot of nuances to each of them. But at the end of the day, this, uh, what is a problem and what is a solution? Challenge. Um, I've come to a place where problem equals solution. And it's just a matter of it's like Einstein's theory of relativity for the problem solution space, right? And, you know, in Einstein's theory of relativity, it's, it's like the position of, you know, the, the ball matters between it and another object or from an observer from an outside space, right? And so problem and solution are relative to each other, but also relative to an outside observer looking at problem and solution. Now, what, there's one clue to this, that problems equal solutions. One is that, you know, today's solutions equals tomorrow's problems, right? So everyone, if, has, if they've ever said that statement somewhere along the line over the time continuum have agreed that a problem, that a solution equals a problem. Um, but, even in even in the now, um, what is a what is the problem to be solved, and what is the solution to solve it? And my my favorite example is just to use the the old classic: people don't need a quarter inch hole; what they need is a quarter inch drill, right? And so the problem to be solved is make the hole. What we're getting, the solution is the drill, and it's just so basic. But if you use abstraction and you start to just say, okay, well, why do we need a hole? And maybe we need a hole to access the brain, you know? And so now it's like, well, what's the problem to be solved? We need to access the brain. Well, how are we going to solve it? What's the solution? Oh, we're going to make a hole. Well, why are we accessing the brain? It's like, well, we need to remove a tumor. It's like, okay, so the problem to be solved is remove a tumor and the solution to it is access the brain. Right. And you can just like go on forever until, you know, you get to happiness and bliss or live with ease or wherever you want to at the top of this abstraction. Um, and and so this this idea of fall in love with the problem, not the solution, I think automatically sets 
teams up for trying to define what is the problem and what is the solution or what is the job and what is Mm -hmm. the outcome or what is the error statement or whatever word you want to use. And, and there's a lot of debate as to what is what. And instead of trying to observe the problem solution space, right? And if you start to observe the problem solution space, then somewhere on that remove a tumor could be, you know, ablate it using an external energy source. So you're not making a hole or shrink it using chemotherapy. Right. So now we got three different solutions to that problem. Yeah. Right. But they're just in the problem solution space. And which one is a problem and which one is a solution is really entirely up to opinion perspective. I really like that. I mean, it's, it's, I think it is, it's, it's one of the things where I think jobs done is great, but, but it causes a lot of confusion is exactly this. You're getting lost in these different levels because you're looking for the job, like the yeah. one. Right. And that's just, it's not there, but what it does give you is, or other approaches as well. So I'm not here saying jobs is better in any sense, but it gives you a language to to take a perspective. You have to take and define a perspective. Otherwise, it's because then that question of what is truly the job, then you can go up, you can go down, you can go left, you can go right, and there is no true answer. Mm-hmm. It's not, there is it's just not that simple. So for me, it's always it's it's so funny. I, we quite often when we bring up that when I bring up this quote of uh, quarter inch drill and the quarter inch hole, people say, "Well, well, yeah, but people don't want a hole." And and even anytime somebody says that, I say, "But the fact alone that you're asking this question means you got the quote, so that's <laughs> good." <laughs> so if you're asking that question, but the quote has done its job, and then it's fine. But that is exactly right. Now and now you're on the right path. Now you're thinking along the right kind of lines okay now okay and then, then but then at one point you have to stop you have to define a perspective mm-hmm. and, and just take a stance wherever wherever in that i like how you said it in this problem solution space which is one space where do you where do you want to sit where do you want to stand right where do we yeah it's about consensus with the team right so if you can if you can start to draw the problem solution space before before having a debate on what is the problem what is the outcome what is the job to be done and you know we're wasting a lot of time trying to figure out the job to be done yeah forget about it let's just spend some time together in the problem solution space and then there's going to be consensus like hey guys where do you want to live like where should we choose to live do we want to be are we a drill manufacturing company and we're really looking at all the different ways to make holes. And do we want to get into other methods of hole making? You know, or are we, you know, a medical device company that's looking at brain tumor treatment? Like, where are we and where do we want to live? And do, does our team agree? Do we have consensus on this problem solution space? Okay. And now we can move and and be communicating to each other in a way that's, productive as a team and not arguing which one is the problem and which one is the solution yeah it's it's, you're making me so so much rethink i mean we always say i always say we're so dogmatic about yes you have to make a difference between problem and solution and probably that's not even true so (laughs) i i always bring it like 
that's the but that's the, the whole point that's the power of jobs to be done kind of to make this distinction between solution and problem but in the end you're probably right i mean one job is another job solution so that whole distinction kind of goes out the window in a sense <laughs> but, jobs yeah. to be done people make this they add a lot to this confusion yeah and it's with a lot it's it's just a lot of straw man arguments mm-hmm. yeah i agree and although again, oh sorry go mean, ahead meaning some and basically the whole i mean i like this Andrew, of thinking of it in terms of relativity, because that had to do with your perspective. And is something moving? Uh, well, if it's mo- like I'm still, I'm this pen does not appear to be moving. I'm looking at it; it's not moving. But from somebody in outer space, we're both moving, right? So, so um, I I really like I, I really like that way of thinking about it. But again. So many jobs we've done, writers, people, they use a straw man argument that says, well, and the thing that's aggravating about it is there's just enough truth to it that for most of the time, it even is the thing, <laughs> it's the right thing to say. But it's why is it a straw man argument? Because if I say, wow, I need a saw with a sharper blade, that's the pro- that's the thing I need. You know, well, I really should be thinking about, you know, cutting, cutting the board or ever. But it, but if I say if I say I want to solve a sharper blade, I have some problem in mind because yeah, yeah. I don't even articulate it. Doesn't mean I just out of thin air I just picked a random feature that I wanted improved. I picked it with a benefit in mind. Uh, so that's that's the main reason it's a straw argument. Is it just ignores the fact that when we when someone's pushing a solution forward there is probably a problem in mind now the reason it has some validity to it is yeah a lot of times we start create building things creating things we we come in love with our own the stuff yeah. we're building and we lose perspective maybe that's sort of the theme to this we or we lose perspective we we get so far down the road of that technology we've forgotten that it was to cut a board and now it's it's literally about the hard the hardness of the steel and this and that and so yeah. But it's it's tough. I mean, the the truth is just a bit more nuanced than any of those simple simple stories. Indeed. Also, I, I mean, just to uh, throw in some something, uh, you know, potentially uh, thought provoking. Jonathan doesn't agree at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It, it's not that. I, but I no, I think this uh, this idea that problems are solutions. I. I I, I agree with in general, but I think I mean as a physicist, you would probably also if we if we think about a state space, you know, and we think about um, the the problems essentially are states in this state space. So 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 this is this is the kind of object it is 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 a point in a in a in a space, and solutions are not points really they're paths so they're a set of points they're going from one place in the state space to another place from one point to another point so somehow i think we if we really wanted to we could actually make a profound distinction between problems and solutions by simply saying that a solution is a path in the state space whereas a problem is a state You, you need to help me a bit more in understanding what the state space is, to be honest. I, 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 
Can you elaborate a bit on that? Because I think it sounds it sounds very. I mean, well, well I could uh, translate anyway, but could you elaborate a bit? Well, I mean, a state space is just simply for no me. Uh, you, you, it's it's a it's a just a a word to describe. Uh, so w when you describe the world, you look at different variables, and you look at you 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 choose these variables uh, typically. And these variables can can move around, and you can make a you can make a graph. You can make and depending on how many variables you have, the the you you might have a space that's only one dimensional, two dimensional. It could be you know thousand dimensional. And somewhere, if you choose one value for each of these variables, then you've basically defined a a, a point. And okay. and I mean, we yeah. could define goals. I think as a, a state. So if I say I want to um, clean my clean my living room. So the 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 state, the end state, is the living room is clean. Uh, that's okay. that's a, I can look at the variables. I can say I can check check. Okay. You know, okay, that's where we're at. It's it's uh, that's the state. Mm -hmm. um, but then the the actual solution is you've gone. It's it's which path have you gone on the on. The, What's the okay. the path you took yeah. to go from the dirt, uh, let's say, unclean living room to the clean living room, and that's yeah. a a set of different steps. Yeah, I think my my question. This is a little bit tongue in cheek, but my question would be: Which are you using, Cartesian or non-Cartesian math? And the the reason why I say that is because. I absolutely agree with you that the problem, the thing that we call the problem is the thing that we define as the state space. However, we all have to get around and decide that the clean room is the state space because maybe the state space is to, you know, feel at ease while in the room, or maybe the state space is to be in a place that doesn't have an infestation of bugs. Like, okay. so, so it is a human decision to choose the state space, right? Totally. And, and, you know, in, in physics, right? Like we have to choose what math we're going to use. We have to choose what set of parameters we're going to use to choose the stationary object to then define everything else around it. Everyone knowing that that stationary object could be an object in motion if it if we chose a different state space, right? So, so we call this thing the problem and we call all these different paths to it the solutions. I'm with you all the way. It's just that that problem, that state space is human defined and it becomes even more complicated when it's team defined, defined by a group of people. Yeah. Right. And so to be able to define the problem solution space and as a team say, this is the state space, this is the thing we're calling problem. Uh, you know, that's all I'm saying to a different group in a different place working on a different thing. That team is that thing is, is on a solution path. But to us, it's our state space. To us, it's our problem. Yeah. It definitely gets more complicated when 
you have to get of a team to agree on what the what the goal is or however. <laughs> I don't even feel like I have the ability to use language anymore. I'm not sure what the words are. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just call it the goal. Uh, because because multiple people on the team on that team might have well, first of all, some will be less tolerant of sort of this abstract thought. So there's ah, we got, we got to build this. We got you know they hired us to build this saw blade. You know, let's get started on the saw blade. There's there's gonna be that group. There's often a group sort of from sales mentality that says, "I don't know what you guys are talking about. We got to sell more next year." And they're so it's just, they're just in a completely different universe. They're not even. <laughs> They're not even willing to entertain this. And then you have you have some jobs you done enthusiasts go too far the other way. Like, oh no, man. It's like peace and yeah. love. We just gotta make a, you know, saw blades. What are you talking about? We gotta make a happier home for people. It's like, what? So they, in other words, they go, they're abstracting too much. And yeah. so if you're from the outside, there's and there's probably I don't know. There could be multiple good answers. Maybe there's an, a best answer. Probably is a best answer, but it's difficult to negotiate that conversation of like, where should it be? And good gracious, good luck introducing sort of this complexity we've even added <coughs> about, about a solution versus a job being relative. That's almost something I would probably not even bring into a lot of those conversations because it's it's already going to be so it's difficult. Easy. It's almost right. like you got to define. It's like, you know, I don't know where, why this pops in my mind, but like Dungeons and Dragons or whatever. Like you have to define the world for them, uh, and you have to you can't let everything be a variable. You have to sort of define some some facts, yeah. if you will, even though uh, yeah. you could you could argue against yourself. <laughs> yeah, defined defined enough to be useful, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, the, in in everyday life, people are using math and people are using formulas to get things done that are useful and they work good enough. And that math might not work near a black hole, and that math might not work if we're trying to get a rocket into space. But that math works good enough if we're trying to you know build a house. And we don't need to necessarily get the entire team that's, say, building a building to understand the math to get the rocket into space. Um, you know, so I think I think trying to get the whole entire huge team on board with, you know, a problem solution space is is a bit much. But from I've had a lot of a lot of success in just consulting a team through this problem solution space and i'm not trying to tell them what's a problem and what's a solution we're just going to agree that way up here are we're we're heading more towards solutions or sorry more towards yeah um problems to be solved yeah. and down here we're we've got like tons and tons of ways to get it done and just work through the whys and the hows and why else, how else, and, you know, sort of move up and down this through conversation and build out this space for them and then get it, you know, bring, bring a smaller team, the key team, the key decision makers into a room and just get everybody to agree. Like, what is the job to be done here, folks? Are we here or are we here? Which is the job to be done? And we don't have to get into all the theory behind it, um, but we can have them look at it and man, when they see it, it does, their eyes are open. They're like, wait a second. I thought we were solving this problem, but I do think we are actually solving this problem. And that problem is way too high. No, that's a, that's way out there. And you can get them to kind of dial in yeah. where, where they want to live. 
you know, and it's like, okay, we're going to call this the job to be done, you know, and just move on with it. Um, but get that consensus ahead of time. You wouldn't think, you wouldn't think it listening to the past 15 minutes, but when you then actually write out, it's, it, I mean, the language is pretty simple, right? So yeah. that's, I think, one of the great, the theory is another thing, but once you write it down and do this, I mean, we call this a hierarchy and how you set that up and you can go down and up and left and right and all that kind of stuff. But once it's written out there, the language is quite straightforward. So you don't need that. You don't need any theory to make somebody else engage with something like that. So a job's on structure or however you want to call this, because if you take away the solutions, if you take away the technology and just focus on what do people want to achieve, that's language we all speak. Remove a tumor. I don't need to be a doctor to be able to understand what that means. I know what that is. I have no clue how to do it. Mm -hmm. That's a different story. But just the language in it, it, itself is so. That's the beauty of it. It's simple, but not but not in a in a in a kind of banal way. But it's really it's accessible to everybody. Yeah. Business people can look at it and they understand what we mean when we come from this innovation design world. And designers also know what it means. So I think that's one of the beautiful things. It, it removes to me what's the what's right and what's wrong. You know, that's that's a solution. Yeah. That's that's not, you know, yeah. ah, that no, you're talking to solutions. Right. It's like, you know what? Try it with a multidisciplinary multidisciplinary team. This is one of my favorite exercises, which is to just get a team. They might be engineers and marketing people and maybe yeah. some executives. Just get them into a room and say, okay, we're trying to, you know, we're 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 building this new device for you know removing brain tumors um what do you think are the you know 20 most important needs everybody just take out a you know post-it note and just start to write needs jobs to be done however you want to phrase it you know one per thing everybody spend you know a half hour and just brainstorm hmm. jobs to be done outcomes needs and it's incredible because some people are like, oh, we need a hole, we need screws, and we need the screws to be metal plated, and we need the screws to be bioabsorbable screws, you know, we need to, you know, we definitely need to like watch out for the blood brain barrier. And like, so like, there, there's all these needs and their needs, their needs, they need to be done, their problems to be solved. But they're all kind of down here. And then there's all of these needs that are going to be getting being written well you know we need to improve the quality of life we need to have maybe you know less time in the operating room and reduce the number of this or reduce you know and there's like all these metrics that are up here yeah. and just but they're just writing these things down and then have them go up to a, a whiteboard and start to like just talk about them and put them on there and then just start to rearrange them and just in front of everybody you end up, it just ends up looking like this pyramid of stuff yeah. that they generated. They generated all of it. And all you did was kind of say, well, this is like a really high level thing. So let's throw that up here. And this sounds like it's you know, really concrete. You know, this is really specific. Let's put that down here. And you, you, you build the problem solution space from their own words. And then right in front of them, you ask them why, why else, and how and how else. You do the ups, the downs, what's stopping us, and whatever questions you want to ask. And you kind of get them to flesh it out a little bit more. And just in the board, right in front of their eyes, they see it. They see it coming. Yeah. Um, and nobody's wrong. Nobody's like, ah, we're not supposed to be talking about solutions here. Everybody is right. 
And that, that problem down here is a real problem for you on the engineering floor. And that problem up there is a real problem for you in the executive suite. And the problem that we're trying to define as the node is the one that the product manager wants. <laughs> <laughs> but we can kind of all see it. Yeah. So you'll, you, you sort of have a brainstorming session in which what are, how is, how is it framed? I mean, I guess you have to introduce some framing about we want to cure brain tumors or something. And then just from there, what, what, what are the questions you pose to get folks? <clears throat> yeah, I would give like a pretty classic jobs to be done, like presentation on what is a problem and what is a solution, right? You know, and not get into really all of the theory that we just discussed here yeah um and you're you're trying to get people to write jobs yeah to be okay. done, right you're trying that's what you're trying for them to do because that that mentally sort of gets them one one place higher than where they're thinking right they're yeah. thinking they're thinking screws and we want them yeah. to be talking about holes right we want them to move up just like a level in their brain yep and so um, but no matter how hard you try, right, like you, you, you would see this if you were one on one with a person and give them an entire lesson and jobs to be done and then have them write out, you know, a bunch of jobs, they're all going to be all over the place. Yeah, they're, they're not going to be right on. They're not going to be like perfectly right on this level yeah. of abstraction. Yeah. Um, so I don't try too hard. It's just a very simple jobs to be yeah. done like presentation. Okay. Now everybody take and whatever the subject matter that they're working on, you know, now, now everybody take some amount of time and write down your, you know, your outcome statements, as many outcome statements as you can think of in the next half yeah. hour, you know, and, yeah. and they're all individually all over the place. And then as yeah. a team, they end up more all over the place. And it, so it just kind of, I just let it happen like that. Yeah, and, and like would you use also the uh, the job map in this process, which is this uh, ODI's um, uh, tool that they use a lot and developed by um, Lance Betancourt? This mm -hmm. idea that you can break down. There's a kind of universal sequential breakdown of of jobs. Is is there something you, you also use? I think um, um, uh, who was it that was meant talking about this a lot? Uh, Jim Kalbach, I think, uses mm -hmm. that a lot also in his work. Yes, I I uh, admittedly don't use the universal job map as much as I'd like to. I like it, um, and I like you know uh, you know journey maps, user journeys, and job maps. They're all trying to trying to understand all of the jobs to be done along the way. I think is an incredibly useful tool, right? Um, and so it's not that I don't do it. Uh, honestly, I'm, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm not a jobs to be done consultant, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not, I'm not getting into all of the whole entire thing. Uh, it's like my sweet spot is defining unmet medical needs. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I kind of live where I can be the most useful to a team, and and that that abstraction technique is just one that I kind of yeah. kind of set in on that works really well in a moment. You know, when when having that flash of of time with uh, with 
a medical innovator that I'm trying to help because that's where I'm, I'm usually, you know, a mentor to a startup team or something like that. And they'll, you know, they'll give me a pitch, they'll pitch their idea to me and I'll give them feedback. And I can even take when they get, when they pitch, I can write down words from their presentation and then spit it back out at them as a, as a problem solution space. And it kind of blows their mind because you can just read it top to bottom or bottom to top. And it sounds, it makes more sense than whatever they just told me. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I've got a bit of a a weird uh, question, I, but I, I don't know if this is. Um, are we already at the time when we can ask some uh, more? Um, yeah, I got a new question. Got a <laughs> off here, so start asking the weird, crazy. You know, last. Well, well, because, well, for me, I I was wondering if you saw any. Um, so as you've been in in film, in the film industry and in cinema, obviously a big important part of a good film is the story, right? And, and I was wondering if you saw any connections so uh, between the let's say this jobs to be done type approach and and stories. Do you, do you see anything that uh, that connects these two things? Absolutely. I mean, telling a good story is part of the part of the entrepreneur's job. The, the, uh, the entrepreneur needs to be able to tell a story that resonates with people. Um, and you know, I used to I used to joke it, but we spend so much time. I think that we spend a lot of time. Entrepreneurs do skipping all the middle. They kind of they know what their technology is and what it does. And they kind of know the big problem that they're hoping to solve, you know, and it's, it's like, I'm going to solve, you know, transportation efficiency with, you know, the auto engine. And it's like, what? (laughs) 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 How do those things connect? Right. And so I do, I find that this uh, problem solution space and then you start to you can like connect the dots, you know, from the bottom to the top. Um, what I love about it is it creates a story that if you can talk your way up it and down it, you know, if you can say, "Hey, look, my company is committed to improving the quality of human life, and we're really dedicated to removing brain tumors." And the way in which we remove brain tumors, we've actually got a suite of technologies. We've got some chemotherapy drugs. We've got some brain access devices. Uh, we also have some ablation technologies and, you know, underneath these are these suite of technologies that drive those things. Right. And it's like, if you, if you can, as you tell the story, um, pe- people in the room, those people that live up here are going to be resonating with the piece that's up here. And those that live down here are going to be resonating with the pieces down here, but you really get to capture the whole audience if you do this well. And it's a connected story with a thread where you can start to, where you're connecting those dots for them. Uh, so absolutely critical to, to storytelling. Yeah. yeah, I agree. It gives you like a structure and then you can jump around in and you can probably pick it up at whatever, whatever point, but the rest follows like the rest, what you know, always know where you are in a sense. Mm-hmm. You can leave it like a cliffhanger, you know, like maybe below this line as intellectual property. There you have to pay. 
right <laughs> yeah i mean you know yeah. so you might yeah, be giving yeah. a public presentation and you like hit hit the high the medium the middle and then it's like if you want to learn more let's set up a meeting you know right there so you can give non-confidential presentations you, you can draw you can draw that line um, it really helps you have conversations about what you're doing around like the thanksgiving table or around you can kind of figure out where you want to where what level should i be at when i'm talking to who Right. So yeah. you walk into the manufacturing facility and you sort of like dial yourself down to here and start talking to the people on the floor. And then you're hanging out with family during a holiday and you get like all the way up here. Right. And then you're talking to the C-suite people and you kind of dial it in right here. Right. So you can I think it really does help when you understand it's it is Einstein's theory of relativity. Right. It's hard. To know that the ball that we're tossing up and down isn't actually making this shape. If we don't get, you know, get outside of it and realize, okay, we're all on a planet that's spinning at a certain speed and it's going around the, the sun. It's like just knowing the universe that we live in helps us appreciate things in a way that I think is much more powerful than being naive about it. Right. And so I think it's an incredibly powerful tool for all things, just understanding the universe that we're playing in for our, for our startup or our consulting gig or whatever it is we might be doing. It makes me think about, you see, I don't know if disagreement is the right word, but like hardcore design thinking people and hardcore jobs we've done people, it's literally like they're speaking different languages. Mm -hmm. And I, to me, it's like, they're probably, they're both competent, both valid, but it's like, it, I mean, it's different languages is the best metaphor I can come up with here on the fly is like they're describing like similar. It's like you're in different rooms and I'm seeing I see this. I see this. and They're listening. And they're trying to understand what you're describing there. And but they're just there's just all these misses. Um, Jobs to be done and design thinking are two solutions. Yeah. To a similar yeah, that's right. problem. That's right. That's right. Exactly right. Yeah. This is why I think, you know, I mean, I say this, you know, somewhat in jest and somewhat seriously. It's like, I think that like Christianity and physics are the same. <laughs> okay. Now we get to the statement. <laughs> I think they're the, they're the same thing. They're just two different solutions to, uh, to, we're trying to describe something that we can't. Yeah. And so I've got a way to do it and I've got a way to do it. And they're both, really really different but they're trying to solve the exact same problem yeah. so they're just two solutions on the same level of abstraction for the higher problem yeah mm. right so so i think you know um science and religion are solutions to a problem above it uh it, you know so that's what i think about that's what I think about jobs to be done yeah. and outcome driven innovation and, you know, need statement development and design thinking. Yeah. You start to see that there's, there's, again, there's this thread of fall in love with the problem, not the solution, try to understand what people really need and want. And maybe some people are more focused on emotion or some people are more focused on feeling or comfort and other people are focused on like, like really concrete emotionless jobs. Yeah. Right. And it's just like they're almost like two they're two different religions. Yeah. They're trying to do exactly the same thing at the end of the yeah. day. Andrew, I remember one time when I was uh 
when I taught a lecture one of your courses, and we were just shooting the breeze afterwards, and we were talking about some topic. I have I have no idea what it was. It's not that important. But then we had, we didn't say, we didn't have the same opinion on it. And you just said, ah, oh, you said, oh, that's your position. And I thought that was the best phrasing. And I've repeated that. I've told that story. I probably told these guys that story before. Yeah. What's beautiful about, oh, that's your position. You know what that does? That lets me keep my position. That lets you keep your position. And there's like, we're still friends. It's just like, oh, that's your position. And I thought that was the, <laughs> I just thought that was the best phrasing. And what, no matter who we're with, I mean, we're, it doesn't have to be these taught these uh, jobs. We don't, it could be, uh, it could be anything, but I think that it's just such, it's just wonderful phrasing because we're able to, to uh, just acknowledge that, Oh, we have different positions and it's, it's all right. It's okay. You know, I've, I've, Andrew, you, I don't even know if I've told you this, but I, I bet I've told that story a thousand times in the last 10 years. I, I found it to be that uh, useful, a way of, a way of thinking. And I'll say this too. People are surprised that how loosely I seem to hold on to jobs to be done thinking at times. You're like, wow, doesn't that like, or isn't that, uh, you know, I, I'm very, inter I, I very much like thinking about other ways. And it's like, man, the more I know, the more I realize how little I know. Yeah. The more I learn, the more I realize how little I know. And so I hold on to, I hold on to things very loosely. But at the end of the day, you do sort of have to have, okay, I need to pick this useful perspective. It's good enough. Let's go to bat. But I needed to, I needed to fit that story, Andrew, because I think that's for everybody. I mean, it's, you know, I think that's just a great approach to managing your, your ascent into trying to be a more knowledgeable person is just to, just to acknowledge somebody has a different position and, it, and let it be okay. <laughs> I think it's so, and maybe this is a good spot to finish. Um, I've told you this before. I absolutely love that in your book, you use the word laws and <clears throat> laws are, are, uh, actually tell the, tell us the title of your book. So the statue and the stone, and then in red, it says what it says, let's look at it here. Decoding customer motivation with the 48 laws of jobs to be done philosophy available on Amazon. Yeah. The 48 <laughs> laws of jobs to be done philosophy. Yeah. I love this. I love that you called them laws <clears throat> because you're defining a position. Yeah. And laws, the thing about the word law is that laws are written by humans. Laws are dependent on where you are in space and where you are in time. Okay. So like the law, the laws here in North Carolina, where I am right now are different than the laws in Washington state. So different based on your position. The laws change over time. They're different today than they were 100 years ago. And laws are written by, by humans. And the same thing goes with the laws of, of physics, right? I mean, there's the law of the conservation of matter. That's the way it was. But then we rewrote it to be the law of conservation of matter and energy, right? Or mass and energy. I'm probably getting it wrong. Um, the laws of physics don't really work that well very close to a black hole. It's like, yeah, they work really good in a lot of places, but once we get to a black hole, the laws of physics just kind of aren't working there. We hadn't figured those out yet. And those laws are really, really useful. The, the book is like a Bible. You know, I keep it next, I keep it very close all the time. I've got it highlighted. Um, 
And I refer to it all the time because it is so useful. The laws are so useful and the position that you have right now is so useful. But if you rewrite that book a decade from now, I would certainly hope that your laws have evolved, right? Um, so anyway, that's kind of that's a good spot to finish. <laughs> well, I'll t I'll totally second that and and say uh, it's it's a really great book. So totally yeah. recommend any listener to to get it. I know you got a hard stop, Andrew. So we'll let me roll roll down to the finish line here real quick. Hey, appreciate the time, man. I love yeah. this thinking about relativity and jobs you done abstraction. Um, I, I think it's a fascinating way to, to, to think about it. And that, friends, concludes today's Product Quest podcast. Follow us on LinkedIn or reach out to us anytime at productquestpodcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time. Yeah, I'm going to say whatever the hell I want. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> Do that. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs>